all across the podcast land are commenting on how nice uh, the Reverend Karen Teresa Ricks's voice sounds. Somebody told me once in a church that I could read the phone book and he would be just fine. Katie, say something sexy to me. I'm going to close my eyes and see how it makes me feel. Bless us. Something sexy to me. Close my eyes and see how it feels. This is a little bass in there too, <laughs> All right. Go on and talk to it. Come on, sexy. What is up, good people? Welcome back to Holy Shit Pod, a holy, irreverent, irreverently holy conversation about spirituality, culture, and the world. I'm the host with the most, Brandon T. Maxwell, and the gang is all here. KT, Pastor Sam, and best friend of the pod, Natasha Liberty Prince Sanders. Today is feeling like a church announcement kind of day, so we are coming at you with a 30-minute church announcement episode, and the cancel culture episode we promised is coming to you next week with a slightly extended episode solely dedicated to that topic. We know we're a little bit on the late side today, but thank you for your patience, people of pod. We really do appreciate and love you, and thank you for checking on us. Let's get into it. Good morning, good morning. Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and the Aints. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go back to the Church of Pod. We've got a lot to talk about today and a little bit of time to talk about it, so we ain't gonna have too much banter out the gate. Let's get straight into our first church announcement. For our first announcement, last Wednesday, news started to break that Howard University and Presbyterian College officials were investigating an event wherein a group of students yelled threats and racial slurs at the Howard women's lacrosse team. What'd they say? Before we go a step further, I have to say, I'm so happy to know that Howard has a lacrosse team. I do not imagine a group of Black humans coming together and playing lacrosse. It's always been a white sport in my head. And so the fact that Howard University has a lacrosse team. Can we just give it up for Howard's lacrosse team for a moment? Amen. Come on, Howard women. Aye, Bison. They are one of two, one of two um, historically back colleges who have lacrosse teams. Just two. So one of two, and and it's a women's lacrosse team at that. That's what I really love, right? Yes, women's. Well, I'll cut straight to the chase. At some juncture, women from the Presbyterian College lacrosse team started yelling racial slurs at the Howard University lacrosse team. Natasha, Katie, y'all sent me this article and y'all the Presbyterians in the room. Talk to me. Go on, Katie, because you need you need to get your um, nieces and nephews over there at the college. Go ahead. <laughs> get them together. I, I mean, I think, well, um, this was not unsurprising to me what Presbyterian or not, but I think like that the Presbyterian church even though we have nice pictures of diversity all over in, in leadership, that still doesn't preclude the fact or doesn't um, negate the fact that there's significant racism just underlying the church, period. So it was completely unsurprising. It's, um, and what they've chosen to do is block off areas before a game, but people don't care about that. I mean, like, no, what you should do is figure out who the kids are and you probably already know who they are and you should do something and then do some more. But ultimately the Presbyterian church is going to have to, I mean, I know they're attempting to do stuff with Matthew 25, but no denomination is free of the white supremacist nature of who they are. This is um, very problematic. It's never surprising that stuff like this happens, but it's still always very hurtful. These 
um, students were going to simply compete in a lacrosse game with another school. And yes, I think it is a, it is absolutely amazing that they were able to do this, to be able to play lacrosse in, in a competitive way. They should not have been exposed to that at all. And I'm thinking like, what is the climate at your campus, Presbyterian College, where students are allowed to say and do and act in this type of way and not expect consequences. What does your student code of conduct look like? And where are they getting this type of quote unquote freedom of speech from to be able to act this way and say these types of things to other human beings and not expect to be held accountable for their actions? Mm -hmm. And I hope Mm. and pray that you are not Presbyterian College is not trying to hire some DEI professional to come in and clean this up. I hope that they're not going to try to put the monkey, so to speak, on one person's back to come in and try to clean up this mess because it is not one person's responsibility. Where are you, President? Where are you, Vice President? Where are you, professors? How do your syllabi look? Who are you admitting into your school? And what are you teaching them in class? Because clearly it is not anti-racist. Did you come to read today? Because the <laughs> library is open, baby. <laughs> Let's get into it. Let's get into it. But the question is, even if there was there were no rules strictly prohibiting this type of behavior, what is in the culture that makes you think you can open your mouth and say these things? That you can treat another human being like that. And that's that's basically what Natasha just said. So what's in the syllabus? I think those are great questions. Unfortunately, people need a DEI person, you know, and you know, if y'all want to get uh Andre group to consult. If you uh, need some consultation, <laughs> please reach out because the truth is you're right. You're right, Sam. They do need someone, but it doesn't need to be that one person's responsibility to fix anything. Mm-mm. No, Correct. No. As a DEI professional and practitioner, I think one of the things that I would say is whenever I go into an organization as a staff person or a consultant, what I'm immediately going to ask is, tell me why I'm here. And oftentimes what I end up finding out is there's this beautiful story that's told about why I'm there. But if I keep pushing long enough and if I talk to enough individuals, what quickly becomes evident is, oh, this is a reaction to something. And so it's okay to pull in a DEI professional as a reaction, but let's name that and let's know that whatever we're going to do right now as a reaction or a response to this incident. It's a PR strategy. Yep. It's a legal strategy. Right. It's an institutional community strategy. It's a silencing strategy. You have a strategy and a reason for bringing in a DEI professional at this juncture. Yeah. Now, just because that's how I got here doesn't mean that's what my time has to be. Now, you have a choice to make as the organization. What do you want to do? Come on. Now that we know and we're on the same page of why I'm here, what you really want to do? Because that naming, that naming piece is so important, Brandon. And it, and it it speaks to the honesty of of everything. So so yes, I do think naming like this is in response because our students called these Howard lacrosse team members names and subjected them to racist acts. And I want to be clear because we haven't dug into the details of this that much. I, however, do think it's important to name. When you think about sports teams and their drama, what I, well, maybe not, let me not project onto you. When I think about sports teams and their drama, I assume, okay, somebody scored a point, somebody had a foul, somebody did something that has caused these people to be angry and there's a reaction or a response to us brushing up against each other too hard or me accidentally tripping you. It's a response to something, right? Okay, I get triggered and I 
start to say crazy things. If you read the story, what you will see when the Howard women's lacrosse team set foot on Presbyterian College's Bailey Memorial Stadium in Clinton, South Carolina, their first steps on the field were greeted with, fuck Howard. You're not welcome here. We don't want you here. They shouted, if it ain't white, it ain't right. The game hadn't even started. And threatened them with guns. Like when we talk about gun control, they they were talking about their guns and what kind of scopes they had on their guns and stuff like that. That was all part of it. In addition to um, the racist and misogynist statements, those were also things that were said. And I think it has something to do with the fact that even though I was joking earlier talking about my perception that lacrosse is a very white sport, that's real. And for these white folks in Clinton, South Carolina, at Presbyterian College, what they knew and desired is for that space to be white. And so the very presence of someone who is not white walking into the space with the same equipment, with the same uniform, as if they belong, there was a threat to the space that for all intents and purposes had been deemed white. What do you do when the spaces you thought were white, when the spaces you thought were straight, when the spaces you thought were whatever category of privilege, when they are inhabited by those who look, love, think, believe differently than you? What's your response? I'll tell you this, a tweet ain't going to get it. So apparently the the tweet from Presbyterian College's women's lacrosse team coach, we apologize to the Howard University women's lacrosse coach and her players, and we deeply regret the experience they had on our campus. Let's be specific. And here you are, instead of owning, you put the onus on Howard's team. Instead of saying, we regret or I regret what our students did to you. Come on now. Sorry for your experience. Yes. For your experience. It's, it, yes, it's, it's ugly. Sorry you felt that way. You, Sam, you on my pew. Because when me and my husband get into it sometimes... And I'm like, I need you to apologize for us to resolve this. I'm making a request that you apologize for these actions. I know that I'm triggered, but I want the apology. And he'll say, I'm sorry that you, I'm sorry if you felt. I can hear him saying, I can hear him saying. Don't apologize for my feelings. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Don't apologize for my feelings. He's like, well, I'm sorry you felt that. I like I- <laughs> my feelings. I'm in touch with my feelings right now. I know I'm triggered as well, but don't apologize for my shit. I don't need you to apologize for my feelings. Apologize for what you did. Sorry for your experience. Sorry for your feeling. No, sorry for the action. Yes, apologize for I'm I'm sorry that these that our students said racial ugly things to your lacrosse to your lacrosse players. That's what you need to apologize. And let me tell the other side of the story too, to Sam's point from earlier. One of the things that I struggle with with my partner is actually apologizing in words. So I don't want to just talk about my husband and not talk about myself. Because one of the things that I've always learned and believed is that actions speak louder than words. And so oftentimes my apologies don't land how I intend because I don't use all the feeling words that other people might use to convey their sense of remorse. But what I do is change my actions. And when we get around to it, I say, I'm sorry. And do you see that I have changed? Do you see that the thing that caused you the trigger has changed? So so I get from me, I don't always apologize well either, but when I do it, I try to do it with my actions before I do it with my words because those things for me speak louder. And so to your point, Sam, to your point, Natasha, earlier, Presbyterian College, if you're interested in apologizing, what are you going to do 
so that your actions demonstrate the remorse that you supposedly feel. And can I just add another flip side to this as well? Um, Because we do believe in balance. Balance. I, I want to caution Presbyterian College to not try to just put, again, all of the onus on the students who did this who yelled the racial slurs and, t- and talked about how they're going to do stuff harmful to the Howard University lacrosse players women's team. Don't, don't try to just, oh, I'm going to expel you. I'm going to suspend you. Don't do it. Because your job, Presbyterian College, is to educate. And if you make them leave the college, and this is just my opinion, who is going to educate them and make them stop saying this ugly stuff? Now, maybe you do need to ask them to leave your college and send them to another college that is going to actually teach them anti-racist behavior. Here's what I want them to do. Presbyterian College, I want you to have every single person that was involved in this issue, and I want you to require them to attend a semester of classes at Howard University and study with Nicole Hannah-Jones, because she's there now, and ta Coates, and the 1619 Project, and everything that's come after that is a part of the pre-reading for the course. And put it in every syllabus. Because sometimes the only way for you to actually unlearn something it's to shift your context. Because if this is what happened on your soil, and this is how you've responded to the incident, you may not have the skills or the tools hey. to help shape these students in a way that is essential for this stage in human history. So let me put them in a different context. Hello, somebody. Hello. There's some oil on this. There's some oil on this. So speaking of lacrosse, the first black lacrosse player that I met was Carlton on Bel Air. <laughs> <laughs> With his sweaters. With his sweaters. So have y'all watched the new reboot of Fresh Prince or remake, recreation of Fresh Prince? I'm not sure what to call it, but it's called Bel Air and it's on Peacock Television, Peacock TV. I've watched the first three episodes and I'm excited to watch the next three probably tonight because I think that the next three come out tonight. I thought you watched the fourth one too. You didn't watch the fourth one? When did the fourth one come out? Like, it's been out a few days. Yeah, oh, I ain't watched it yet. So I think you watched it because you said something about the uh, the house manager there being something else. Oh, I said I think that there will be, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I've only seen the first two. I watched all four of them. So what do y'all think about <laughs> it? Absolutely love it. And we've oh, so I've talked to I've talked about this to you, Brandon, about um, not liking remakes that try to basically just do the same exact storyline in like a different era, a different time. So much has changed since the Fresh Prince of the 90s. And the fact that they made this show, first of all, they changed the, the genre. Yes. You know, I love that they did that. That it's no longer a comedy, it is a drama, and they start with the drama from the first scene. Yes. Well, um, and so I love it. And then they make it really, um, they make it fit the era. Like how they changed Hillary's role, how they changed Carlton's role, all of those things. I love it. So if you haven't watched it yet and you plan on watching it and you are a person who hates spoilers, this would be the moment for you to press that little button that advances the podcast to the word of pod because we're going to have a couple of spoilers, I'm certain. You've been warned. So the showrunner, Westbrook, said that he couldn't imagine putting a black man in a position of servitude in the way that Jeffrey was in the original show. And so instead of making him this sort of servant in the house, he makes him basically Uncle Phil's BFF. He makes him Uncle Phil's right-hand man. He's the house manager. He handles the shit for Uncle Phil in the house when Phil's trying to be the district attorney. So Carlton is also the character who we see the most transformation in. In this show, it seems as if Carlton is actually the villain 
Carlton has his own sort of uh, swag about him. He's in this predominantly white school, Bel Air Academy. Carlton is like the the champion of the lacrosse team. He's the class president. And he really is running things in the school. He's shooting coke up his nose, child. He got a drug addiction. So Hillary Banks previously was the dumb blonde character, right? That's how she was cast. But... Hillary Banks in this is actually this sort of social media influencer. She's a chef. And so she does a lot of the cooking, all of the cooking in the household because she's a culinary artist in training. So I think those are things that are already different about the show. I think the thing that the show also does well is the original show had a lot of light-skinned people and we had the whole drama with Aunt Viv number one and Aunt Viv number two. And this Aunt Viv is distinctively dark-skinned. So is Hillary, which I love. Yes. I love And there's so many, I mean, there's so many textures and flavors of black, but the predominant flavor of black is being Natasha's color. Yes. Because Sam, you're a little bit lighter. Colorism. You know what? The the colorism thing is really, is is really um, a good point to make because in the original Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Jeffrey was the darkest person there. And, and was the servant. look at what he was doing. Yeah, he was a servant. So to see a cast full of people that are dark completed is <laughs> chocolate. Yes, dark, dark chocolate. Come on here. Special dark chocolate. Mm. Dark chocolate with almonds. It's, it's very, it's uh, rewarding. You know, like the hashtag representation matters for sure. What I love about this show is they took kind of some of the surface identities of characters from the 90s and they they added so much complexity and detail to them. Some of those general identities did not change, right? We who did we ever know what Aunt Viv did in the um original sitcom? She was an educator in the original. I think I, I think I knew she was an, an educator. educator, but she wasn't like we they they never focused on on any of that very much. We yeah, we rarely did we see her outside of the home. So Janet Hubert, we did see what she did. They focused a lot on Janet because she was probably the most critically acclaimed actor on the show. We had the whole thing about her background as a dancer and the whole episode where she was out there dancing. And I'm pretty sure she was a professor at a college and they made a big deal about her coming in and coming out with her briefcase and writing papers. Like we did get elements of her career, but when they kicked off Janet Hubert and added Daphne Reed to the mix, it shifted right it went from being this person who we focused on that on those things to somebody who we weren't sure what she did and i liked the way that they took that theme and they talked about how she gave up her passion as an artist they drilled down into that they focused on that in this episode like with carlton he was always popular with the white folks. He was he at Bel Air Academy. He was the one who, you know, he was the big man on campus until Will got there. They drilled down on that. They, they, there's a scene where Will, first day of school, he walks in and they they in the gym uh, or in the like the locker room and they just got the rap music playing and they just going in and they they rapping with the lyrics and the, it's it's Carlton the only. Black person. Only black person. Only one. And the white folks is this one particular white guy. He's just rapping. He's saying nigga this and nigga that nigga this. Nigga this, nigga that. And Will is like, bro, you can't say that. And Carlton's like, dude, chill out. And, and, And what I like about it is that is not a departure from the surface character that we saw in Carlton in the original episode, but we get the nuance in this. Yeah, it's very real. And I think in addition to it having these different uh, sort of phenotypes, the complexions of Black people, it's also different Black political perspectives. And I think, like, I love how it's wrestling with the interiority of the characters. Carlton is definitely a Black Republican. He's definitely been socialized around all rich white folks his entire life. And his father, Uncle Phil, which we need to talk about in one second because I'm still mad about about sort of what seems to be fat phobia in the show. Let's talk about that. Um, But Uncle Phil's character is running for to be the district attorney and he's really adopted this sort of 
uh, white veneer, if you will, to appeal to the broader population. And people that knew him back in the day are like, you you a sellout. And so we get to see him wrestling with what it means to be a black man at this stage in his career running for office. We see all of these different shades of black. And it feels like a very, very, very black conversation every time I'm watching. And it's not trying to explain it away. I feel like so many of these shows are educating white people about black culture. This is just some black shit. Yeah, and it it shows the the vastness of our experience, right? So many times I feel like popular culture is trying to force Black people into this monolithic thing and we are vastly different. And I feel like what you just said really hits on that. And I feel like the show is trying to highlight that a bit more, how we do come from different places and are having different experiences, even within the same family. The only thing that I don't like about the show so far, I think, is the fact that there isn't one human who isn't sort of slim trim with a body. Everybody got a little slim trim frame. Correct me on this if I'm wrong, but there's not a main character, leading actor who we see on every single episode who isn't below 200 pounds. Nope. The only one that's kind of a little on the thick side is Carlton's ex-girlfriend. That's the thickest person that's in the cast. And it's like, come on now. Y'all know Uncle Phil was rotund? That ain't true. What's not true? The, the, the one body type. Like, that's that's a deviation from real life. That's one thing. Uncle Phil, we know, like, James Avery was larger than life, both on the set and in terms of his embodiment. And he took up space in the show in a way that this Uncle Phil just hasn't done yet. Like Samuel just said, he was rotund. So we're still watching it. As you can tell, uh, Katie is not in this part of the conversation. It's not because we kicked her out. Katie had a brief obligation off screen and said that she hadn't yet had a chance to see the show. So she wanted to say, you know, give a pass on this one. She's coming back in our next announcement. So no worries. We haven't silenced the white woman, but we will be having some additional distinctly black conversations about this show as the additional episodes come out and we're all able to conclude the series. That's that on that. And just a little taste of what we think right now. Go watch it today. Katie, can you hit the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme song for me right quick? Come on. For our A selection. Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. In West Philadelphia. Born and raised. On the playground is where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and all. Shooting some b-ball. Outside. You ain't watched that show. When a couple of guys who were up to no good. Started making making trouble trouble in in the the neighborhood. neighborhood. When was the show on? The 90s. It's been probably 30 years since I've seen it. That's a memorable theme song. I don't I don't remember music. Oh. Can you remember any words to any hymns? I do. You know that little quiz they had on uh, Facebook, which I never take, but it was like, see if you're how much a Southern Baptist you are given the hint, like they test the hymns. I got 100% on that. Because if you sing the hymns every week and you watch French Prince every week. She ain't watch it every week. Because she got that hymna. That hymna is right there. But I have to have a trigger from the music, then I know it. What's the theme song for Matlock? I didn't watch much TV. So she don't do TV. It's TV. She didn't watch TV. She, they ain't have no TV. They got one clothes for Christmas. <laughs> uh, it's TV. Because she was reading the hymna when, the, when we was watching TV. Sang in the heat of the night. Why are y'all like this? We like to watch Thursday night NBC. <laughs> Dr. Quinn Madison woman. She watched <laughs> Cheers. Sang Cheers. It's always fun to go where okay. everybody knows your name. Is that Cheers? I can't. Okay, we messing with you, Kate. For our next and final church announcement. Last week, a story broke. I believe it was on NPR. One of our faithful listeners posted it in the Holy Shit Pot Discord server. An Arizona priest used one word 
incorrectly in baptisms, making every single one of them in his congregation invalid. So the priest, when it came to the liturgy, would say, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, when he should have said, I baptize you. So the diocese has explained this and they basically said, sorry, Catholic Diocese of Phoenix, anybody who got baptized by Reverend Andre Saranjo, your baptism ain't real. Because we don't know who he is. He's speaking French or it was a group, it wasn't no group of people up there. Or if he was on a roller coaster, it was we. He must have been Baptist in his last life because uh, I feel like that's all they say is we for everything. We baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus, with evidence. That's just so messed up. How long has he been serving in that? parish? Well, it's it's all of the parishes that he's been in. Oh, ever. Okay. Right. Whew, that's a long time. I mean, I baptize people as I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, mother of us all. Oh, all of that shit is invalid if you're in the Baptist church. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Baptist is going to be like mother. Oh, oh the invalidity of it all. <laughs> but seriously, you are only supposed to have the three. That's the only thing that I heard in my denomination. So why you can't say we if the spirit, if God is with us, Emmanuel, we, me and God baptizing you. And if God is Trinity. God is Trinity. All of us here. A triune God. So the, so the Catholic Church has basically said it's not actually the community that baptizes, right? For them, it's... It is God, Jesus. It's the deity that does the baptism and the priest is just a vessel for doing that. I think there's something deeper going on here that hasn't come out yet. I really do. You think he was molesting the kids? (laughs) I'm just asking. I'm just asking. But also people, like the Catholic Church, because of all that chaos, the Catholic Church has to grasp onto something that they can keep control over. And the words, I mean, I, I hadn't thought about that, Sam. I mean, that may be the case, but I don't know. Because is it not the church's responsibility then to make sure that the person who is being baptized now walks in the way of the Lord? Like the accountability piece? So I have a lot of feelings about this. The first thought is that there's a distinction between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. If you've been listening for a while, you've heard me say this before. Orthodoxy is about right thinking. What do you think? What do you believe? Orthodox, your thoughts. Orthopraxy is about what you do, your actions. It's less concerned about what you think. It's less concerned about the theology behind it. It's concerned about your actions lining up with the faith. That's thought number one. Thought number two is when you're concerned about orthodoxy, what you end up doing is being so concerned about what's happening in somebody's head that you don't give two shits about what happens in their lives. So the issue for me here is at the end of the NPR article, the representative of the church said, for example, if a priest uses milk instead of wine during the consecration of the Eucharist, the sacrament is not valid. The milk would not become the blood of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, If you are so concerned with orthodoxy that you don't have the ability to understand that we just finished living in a pandemic for the last umpteen years and not everybody has access to bread and wine in their house, then I don't have time for you. If you don't tell people in their house to consecrate their dining room table and make it holy, to consecrate those Ritz crackers and make them holy, to consecrate whatever they have in their refrigerator and make it holy, then I don't have time for that faith. As Katie's already highlighted, this is about control. Control. It's not about the actual lives of the people. So now you have individuals who have committed to your institution, who believe that in some shape, form, or fashion, their soul salvation is connected with their baptism and you're going to tell them because someone used an inclusive pronoun, a plural first-person pronoun, 
that you don't have the theological integrity or creativity mm -hmm. to say, you know what, when we talk about we were pulling in every member of that trinity, we're pulling in every member of the community of the saints, yes. every elder, every ancestor, everybody in the cloud of witnesses. We are all coming together with the power of Jesus Christ, who's included in this we, to call you holy, to call you loved, to call you human, to call you beautiful. If you right. don't have the theological capacity for that in your faith, huh? it ain't faith at all. Right. Maybe it's a pronoun issue. Two things. First of all, didn't Mother Mary nurse Jesus on breast milk? And if milk was good enough for Jesus, hey! if it's good enough for Jesus, huh? If it's good enough for Jesus, why the milk can't substitute? Preach, Pastor. And second of all, but wait a minute, don't give me no breast milk for communion, though. I don't want it. <laughs> Does it have to be second breast milk? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Second of all, maybe this is a rebuke on like gender identity issues and folks who are um, reclaiming their or or stating claim to their own gender identity through the use of pronouns and the rise of this practice. And they maybe they want to squash that and say, we ain't finna next, you're going to be saying these, they, them. But it's it's fascinating that this, I've, I'm seeing articles about this on CNN, about the use of pronouns. And I wonder if the Catholic Church is saying, hey, let's tighten this up. We're going to speak out on this. We, we might have knowledge of children being molested. We might not say that for a few decades, but we're going to speak out on this issue because we don't want it to go anywhere. All of that, yes. And it would be interesting to know if this is focused in this particular diocese. I'm sure that there's such a wide range of practice in the Catholic Church. I assume some people would not make everybody be rebaptized again, which is what's, I mean, they're not rebaptized because they haven't been baptized, I guess. But I wonder if this particular diocese is, you know, like the Episcopal Church has the Anglican, I mean, they split into Anglicans and Episcopalians. I wonder if there's like, if this is focused in this area, I don't think all of the Catholic Church would agree with this. That's what I'm saying. I would actually probably agree with that. I think there are plenty of individuals who would identify as Catholic who would not agree with this action that the Catholic Church has taken. I'm not going to meddle in whether or not this person has done something else. But what I will say is I think that there are times and places where in organizations, institutions start to nitpick on individuals. Yep. And so this reads a lot like somebody was sitting in the pew who wasn't actually a member who came to listen on a regular basis and said, we really don't like this guy and what he's doing. We need to find a way. We need something to, to get, get rid, rid of, of him. him. Yeah. Yep. Right. And if he's been in all these churches and baptized all these thousands of people, they're like Catholic priests are not in a church by themselves. They're not in a, they're, they're, somebody else has been listening to those baptisms for decades. And how they know he's been saying it all along, right? They recorded all of them. He said it. He told them. This is what I've always said. Because he was being honest. So you didn't just hear it here in this congregation. I've been saying this in every single church that I've served in since y'all ordained me to be a priest. And th this what also pisses me off. They made his ass sit down. As of February the 1st, he resigned his position. So you mean to tell me that you're going to sit him down over... A pronoun? But I really think it's deeper than what we see on this on these reports and in these articles. No, it's, 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 it's deeper. deeper. They're trying to get him out. Uh, uh, the question is, what else was he preaching? What else was he raising concerns about? What else was he saying to leadership? What truth was he speaking to power? How was he making the comfortable uncomfortable? Yep. Uh, We're going to have to investigate. Yeah, We're going to have to yeah. get our investigative research team on this. And I think you are exactly right, Natasha. And I do think it's relevant to next week's podcast, right? So we had to delay the cancel culture episode for a little while. Thank you for your patience, people of pod. It is coming, I promise. And it's going to be really good. You don't want to miss it. And we might have to dabble on this topic again a bit next week to really focus on the ways in which even Christian churches and likely other religious institutions are guilty of the same sort of cancel culture that is so pervasive 
in the world. But again, that's next week. So make sure you tune in next week for an hour and something odd minute long episode all about cancel culture to challenge us all to think more critically about the actions we take and our definitions of justice for today. That's the end of the conversation. Thank you for listening. Shorter format today. We hope that you reclaim your time like Maxine Waters. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you know the drill. Go ahead and rate, like, and review the podcast in both Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be streaming right now. If you have a question, comment, or concern, hit us up at holyshit at theolatmedia.com. And if you'd like to drop a little love offering in the basket as it is passed, head on over to patreon.com slash Theolab Media. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, with the same foolishness and the same holy shit and a conversation about cancel culture. Until then, peace.